does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Hubler has it all. It's Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Certainly a busy day on the Colts front yesterday. They can Marcus Brady, trade Naeem Hines to the Bills, and all that with the Patriots on the schedule this coming Sunday. feels like I've paid zero amount of attention towards that matchup. Patriots favored by a handful, and I think this will be the case a lot this season. Uh, for the second straight week, the Colts have the lowest over-under in the NFL. 39 well, and That's a, a nice streak to have going. Yeah. that's. Uh, I guess when you've scored over 20, what, once in your last 10 games, mm-hmm. you're probably going to fall into that boat. Uh, Steven Holder from ESPN.com joins us now. Steven, um, let's start with the Heinz trade. Are you under the impression that this was requested by Naheem and his camp to be moved? I, I believe – I wouldn't phrase it that way because that's that's not what was told to me. But it was known. It was very much known that he was unhappy with his role. And it's not, it's not a problem with the organization in itself, right? Uh, I mean, Naheem loves the Colts. Uh, I, I know that uh, I talked to him a little bit yesterday. I mean, this was, this was hard. I mean, right, you know, he, he's, this is the only place he's ever known. But I do think that all parties have been pretty clear about, well, at least not all parties, his party, I should say, have been pretty clear about, just the, the discontentment with the situation. This goes back to last year. Uh, there were conversations between Naheem and, and the organization about, hey, you know, where do I stand? Am I going to get the ball more? Uh, he was led to believe, as we all were, that he was going to have a bigger role. It never materialized. So whether he actually said the words trade me, I, I hesitate to say that because I don't know. But it was very clear that he was unhappy, and, and I think this is ultimately – what he considered a good outcome. Do we know the exact parameters on the conditions with this pick? Like, is it playing time? Is there, I don't know, amount of touches? I never really saw that yesterday. No, I didn't get that. And that is actually one of my goals today is to just learn those details. Uh, because there, I think there's there's actually a legit difference between a fifth and a sixth. I mean, I think, I think the fifth round is where you start, where it starts to kind of dry up, you know? So, so I, I think there's, I think that kind of matters actually. That the difference between the fifth and the sixth. Stephen, did you like the return that they got for Hines? Uh, I don't love it, but I also understood going into this. And in fact, I, I tweeted this on Monday night when we when it became clear that this was real, that the talks were real. My presumption was that they wouldn't get a lot, it, and not because he's not a good player. It's more about the position. And he's also kind of a – Naheem's kind of a luxury player, and I think that's the problem with him. And I use the word problem loosely because it's not a bad thing. It's just that that's how he gets lost. You know, he's not an every-down running back, right? I think he w- he wants to believe that, and, and the Colts have told us over the years that he's capable of doing that, but he's never done it, right? So people don't view him that way. And then the other variable is just, you know, running backs are devalued in general. You know, I think the one exception is Christian McCaffrey, who brought back a really good value uh, for Carolina. But that's a, he, he's one of one, 
right? I mean, he's the only guy like that. He is like uh, a version of Naheem on steroids, not literally, obviously. But um, so, no, I'm not, I'm not surprised that that was the return for Hines. I, I never thought it was going to be, um, you know, some amazing uh, compensation just because that just doesn't happen with the running backs. And then he specifically is not an every down back, even though I love Naheem. Stephen Holder of ESPN joining Kevin and Query on 93.5-1075. The fans, Stephen, multiple teams were reportedly interested in Hines. Do you believe the Bills gave them the best offer? Um, I, I don't think there were great offers. Let's put it that way. The, the sense that I got was that they were willing to move him, but uh, this is as of Monday. Uh, they were willing to move him. That was clear. But the feedback that I got was that the offers were not – they just weren't really moving the needle at that point. And what I was told was like, we're not going to give him away, you know, quote, unquote, give him away. So I don't know if that was the best offer, but, but I will say this is a little bit speculative, but I, but I do get the sense they were trying to accommodate him here. Okay. I mean, training him to, I'm just making this up, right? Like training him to like the Houston Texans would not be accommodating him. Right. Uh, if a guy wants to be moved, it, he doesn't want to go just because he, he hates it here. He he wants to go to a better situation. And so a better situation can, can obviously be a team with a worse record if his role is bigger. But it, I think in a perfect world for Naheem Hines, a better situation in this particular sense meant uh, somewhere where he would be used more extensively and somewhere where the offense uh, was thriving. And so that is definitely somewhere that, that Buffalo qualifies in that regard. Again, Stephen Holder is with us from ESPN.com. Uh, before we move on to the Marcus Brady firing, um, anything the Colts did or I guess maybe even didn't do yesterday, Stephen, give you any indication on how Chris Ballard feels about his job security? So I've thought about this. I, I don't think – Trading Naheem Hines in and of itself speaks to, you know, how concerned Ballard or Reich or anybody is about their future. I, I do think this was a situation where the, the, the $6 million they're paying him, I don't think that's the end of the world, but the $6 million is not something you can ignore if you're not using the guy extensively enough. And, and then two years left on that deal. Exactly. You got two years left. So they, they owe him over $13 million over the next two years. Again, in the grand scheme, not a lot of money, but we got to take into account, you know, they've now gotten themselves on the hook for $18 million of Matt Ryan. I mean, this thing is a mess, you know, and, and I, I've always felt they were in strong position financially and they are, but they may have a lot more work to do than we realize on this roster. And that's what I think they have to be concerned about. So, I'm not saying this is driven by money, and maybe I'm not even answering your question. I'm getting off the topic. But, but, but I think that the Heinz move in itself, I can explain that in other ways as opposed to saying it was driven by uh, people are nervous or, or there's, you know, this is a move uh, you know, to tank or anything, any of those other potential other explanations, right? So I don't know if that answers the question, but I, I thought that you could view these things independently of, of other circumstances. Now, the Marcus Brady thing is different, but but in terms of Hines, no. Sounds like the Colts have needs a quarterback, offensive line, pass rush, wide receiver. Where have we seen that before? That's a, that's a first. It's never been the case before. Uh, Steven, I'm going to move over to the Marcus Brady firing. Uh, it's hard to view 
this is anything other than a scapegoat move in my eyes. What say you? Well, uh, I think that is certainly the way people will look at it, and and I understand that for sure. Um, I don't know enough about what happened here, and I think that's that's the hard part on this is that I don't think we're going to get a lot of insight. Even today in the press conference with Frank Reich, I, I don't think we're going to get a lot of insight. In fact, I'm telling you we're not going to get a lot of insight. Uh, and I did get some feedback, and I still don't have enough to really – understand the motivation for this move um and and here's the thing when you say scapegoat i think you know this is not like a lot of people are saying oh jim ursay fired the wrong guy well i don't think jim ursay necessarily fired the offensive coordinator that is generally the decision of of the head coach now whether there were other influences in there well i'm sure others were aware of what was happening and were involved in the decision but the sense that I'm getting is that this was driven by Frank Reich, honestly. And, and I think that's, I think he'll take responsibility for this decision as opposed to maybe the quarterback move, which was definitely influenced by other parties. I don't know that this, I don't get the indication on this particular move that that is as much the case. So, so I don't know how to answer it. I guess is what I'm saying. When you say it's a scapegoat move, I, I don't know. I, I think it's it's just hard to say why he did this. Now, obviously, the timing of it is terrible, and it's going to look like it's, it's what it's going to look like. There's no question about it. Uh, and and even if you even if you come to the conclusion as an observer that that, that Marcus Brady is being scapegoated, it doesn't mean that there aren't some issues here. There are clearly issues, right? There are a hell of a lot of issues. And so I don't know. We'll see if this fixes them. That's the problem, though. Does this solve their problems or at least turn things in the right direction? That's harder to say. Steven Entitle, he's a coordinator. Gus Bradley's the defensive coordinator. Bubba Ventrone's right. a special teams coordinator. Gus Bradley and Bubba Ventrone are the overseers. They are the guys with their respective units. Marcus Brady just is not that because Frank Reich is the head coach and he's the play caller, and this is Frank Reich's offense. So it's a hard question. I think we had this question with Nick Sirianni as well. But as best you know, like what are Marcus Brady's duties Monday through Saturday and on game day? Right. It is hard. And especially because offense in particular – uh, things are very segmented. Like, like game planning on offense is a group effort. It's a group effort. It's it's the offensive coordinator is the point guard, if you will, right? And he pulls everybody in. All right, you handle this. You handle that. Uh, you handle third down. We'll handle blitz. You know, so it's it's really um, a group effort. It always is. But the offensive coordinator takes the lead on it. He. Uh, he he delegates a lot of you know specific responsibilities to assistants. Uh, so, I mean, he's kind of the he's the he's the team leader, if you will, on offense. When I say team, I mean I'm talking about in a corporate sense, right? If for those of you who work in corporate America, right, you've got your team, this team, that team. Well, Marcus Bray's the team leader on offense, and I think if you look at Frank Reich, he's more of like he'd be the VP, if you will. I don't know. I, I'm probably doing a bad job of explaining this, but here's the thing. At the end of the day, the game planning and the and the play the play calling are inextricably linked. So Frank Reich is heavily involved. There's no question. You can't call the plays without also being heavily involved in the game planning. So 
hard to say, right? I think now, did Nick Sirianni have a bigger role? Did he take on? Uh, did did he have more trust from Frank Reich yeah. than Marcus Brady? I, I don't know. They had been together a longer time, right? They had more history. So there's a variables that we, you know, they're just hard to say. It's just hard to explain, hard to know. I I want to go to that Sirianni point for just a second here before we move on from Brady. Um, I was making this point earlier, Stephen. I felt like when they promoted Brady. Um, and what I knew about him, I thought to myself, man, that's a really different personality than Nick Sirianni. You yeah. know, when, when Frank Reich was hired as head coach, he made it abundantly clear. He had been thinking about Nick Sirianni as his offensive coordinator for years. He loved, obviously, his offensive mind from their days in San Diego. But I think he loved the different personality, the fire, a um, little bit more emotional. You know, it was a, it was a contrast to Frank. Yeah. And, and, and Matt yeah. m- mentioned this earlier. He reached out and goes, I'm a GM of a store. I don't want anyone like me on my leadership team. I want good people, but I want people to challenge my ideas. Usually leads to better experience for the employees and guests. I think in a way, that's why what made the Sirianni-Reich relationship so successful and resonated in that locker room. Am I reading too much into that of like, you know, Reich and Brady were, were, were too similar in their persona and maybe that has played into some of these offensive struggles, some of the early in-game offensive struggles? Well, the second part of that is a, is a little tougher to, to answer. I'll start with the first part, though. You are a thousand percent correct, I think, with Sirianni and Frank Wright. That was a very, very good yin and yang kind of situation. There's no question, right? I mean, look, Frank Reich is not going to come in the offensive meeting room and drop a bunch of F-bombs, okay? Nick Sirianni would, okay? And I remember when he got the job in Philly and he had that opening press conference where he was just sort of, you know, out of place and, and nervous. And I got a lot of feedback from Philly saying, man, what is up with this guy? He's, he, this guy's not a personality. And I said to them, no, no, no. Hey, listen to the players in Indy. They said, this guy has a presence. You just didn't see it. And that has proven to be true. Marcus Brady, we, we don't, we don't know that. We've never seen that from Marcus Brady. And I don't know that that makes you a good or bad coach. I don't think it has anything to do with whether you're a good or bad coach. It does though. Uh, it, it does go to what you are talking about, though, in terms of the, the leadership styles of the respective coaches we're talking about, Frank Reich and Marcus Brady. They definitely don't play off of each other the way Sirianni and Frank Reich did. Whether that has anything to do with this, that's a harder question. But that is correct, and I, I, do, think there's, I do think that is notable, put it that way. Well, it's been going on. There is actually a game on Sunday, believe it or not. Usually, uh, By the way, mar- wait, this, this is like the least anybody has cared about a Colts and Patriots game. I, mean, I was going to say, it's usually a marquee matchup on the schedule, prime time, nationally televised. Could not give a whip about this game usually uh, this year. Uh, how do you think Bill Belichick will game plan against Sam Ellinger? I think he'll throw the kitchen sink at him because this is what I've actually been saying to people this week. Uh, I, I think Sam Ellinger, he passed his first test. And and I think, you know, against a, a Jack Del Rio defense, they, they can get aggressive. And, and he, I'm sure he saw plenty of things last week. But Bill Belichick, look, that team's not great this year, okay? We've seen enough of them to know that. Uh, but the one thing they, they do is they are still a game plan team. And by that, what we mean is they're a team that from week to week never is really static. So you just don't know what you're going to get. And I think for a young quarterback, I mean, there's, I don't have the stat in front of me, but we've seen the stats over the years, uh, the win-loss record of young quarterbacks against Bill Belichick. It ain't great, okay? And 
part of that is because they've had excellent players over the years. Maybe they don't have as much talent this year. But a lot of it is also due to how he attacks young quarterbacks. He will come up with a plan, and he will test this kid. And he's going to want to know, can he handle it? And it'll be up to Sam. I, I think this is a good test for Sam Ellinger. It's, a, it's actually a good opportunity for the Colts to learn about him because, Agreed. again, Bill Belichick is not going to go easy on Sam Ellinger. And I, I like it. I, I want to see what he can do. Yeah, I think it's well said. Pass's first test is a much different test and, and, and a good evaluation for the Colts with Ellinger. Stephen, I want to <clears> end with this. Um, the trade of Naheem Hines, I thought on Sunday – for the first time in his career, and obviously health has played into this, I thought we saw Ohio State Paris Campbell. I thought we saw a guy take a couple of touches behind the line of scrimmage and say, watch what I can do with the ball in my hands. And unfortunately, we just haven't seen that. Even when he had those couple nice games earlier in the month of October, it was more like possession type. It was more like Wes Welker type of games. Whereas I thought yesterday or on Sunday, it was I can create big plays on my own. Without Hines, I think it's critical that they use Campbell in more of those gadgety roles because they are losing a guy that can do some of that with Naheem. So, exactly. And then here's the the point I want to make. The reason, or one reason, that Naheem Hines was playing 30% of the snaps, which is his career low by, by a little bit, is because of Paris Campbell. It's because Paris Campbell's healthy. Paris Campbell has been a very good slot receiver for them. That was kind of a role they envisioned Naheem Hines playing some to some extent, and he just hasn't needed to do it because Paris Campbell's done it. And Paris has played, I think, more snaps than just about anybody in that wide receiver group. Maybe Michael Pittman, maybe just a little more, but but they're pretty much neck and neck. And so I think that really it's, it, that is linked to this Naheem Hines trade, if you think about it. Now, I hope he stays healthy. Obviously, you know the history. But while he is, he is performing a lot of the task that Naheem Hines would. And, and the other thing with Naheem Hines is when you have him out there, obviously you're taking Jonathan Taylor off the field. Granted, this hasn't been a good season for Jonathan Taylor, but defenses will still have to account for him, right? So, so with Paris Campbell, they don't have to make that choice. So I, I get some of that, right? I understand it, and I know the frustration about Naheem Hines not being used, but I also can – I think you make a great point. You can see the results from Paris Campbell. Granted, I get that they have one of the worst offenses in the league, but we are where we are, and he is doing his part at least. So that I can say. The other thing, if you go back to the draft when Paris Campbell was selected in 2019, yeah. do you remember the video of Frank Reich? in the draft room. Oh, yeah. Jumping for joy. He looked like Nick Sirianni in there. He did. I have never seen more excitement from Frank Reich about a a player selection than I did Paris Campbell. We just couldn't see it till now. I think we're starting to see it. I don't know if it's too little too late, but we're starting to see it. Steven, last one for me. Obviously, Zach Moss coming over in the Naheem Hines trade. What can you tell us about Zach Moss, and how do you think he'll be utilized going forward with this Colts offense? Yeah, a little more, I guess, traditional of a running back. So, uh, we'll see. I mean, look, the, the the Bills just, they don't emphasize the run game a ton, so that's part of it. And I know in the last few years, they just haven't been a very good run-blocking team. So, I don't know. His numbers probably reflect some of that. I think he can be a rotational back for the Colts. Uh, they, they, they don't lose any running back depth here. They lose 
a dimension, certainly, with Naheem Hines gone. But but they certainly now have they have great depth at running back for what it's worth. Now, uh, we'll see. I understand that he is a really good pass protector, if I'm not mistaken. And, and that's good because, actually, Jonathan Taylor has been terrible at pass protection this year. It's the one thing he can't do very well, apparently. Uh, so that look, it, he'll he'll play a role. Will he will he change the offense in any definitive way for the Colts? Uh, probably not. But you know, certainly he gives them some depth. Stephen, apologies, we didn't have any questions about the wire. Um, the University of Miami's recruiting class. <laughs> trying to think where else we usually go with you. Oh, trivia, trivia, you know, all that. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, this was a very different kind of appearance on this show. Well, I don't know. No worries. I decide whether I come back. I Jake know. is en route to the state, yeah. so I'm sure you're looking forward to next Wednesday with that. Uh, busy Tuesday for Stephen Holder. We appreciate the time this morning. Thank you. All right, guys. Talk soon. Stephen Holder right there from the ES- from ESPN.com. A couple notes on Zach Moss, Mark. Um, again, under contract through next year, still on that rookie deal, so cheaper and a shorter contract than Hines. Uh, 4.1 yards per carry, uh, 44 catches in 31 career games, no special teams. Like, hasn't played a snap on special teams. So, uh, I would agree with Steven a little bit more. Like, better, younger Philip Lindsay? I mean, maybe. Maybe a younger Philip Lindsay? I, I, I don't. More of a first or second down guy. So, I think Steven laid it out pretty well. Um, he is different skill set than Hines. Um, Scotty comments and goes, slow starts were there even when Sirianni was here. Um, slow starts to seasons? Yes. Slow starts to games? No. Uh, yeah, disagree. Colts outscored opponents by 21 last season, or excuse me, two seasons ago when Sirianni was here, 25 in the first quarter of the year before that. They outscored opponents in the first quarter even in the first year of the Reich Sirianni man. Uh, uh, relationship i guess here in indy so i i feel like that's a little bit of a misconception like again slow starts to seasons record wise but the colts have typically been a good first quarter team under frank reich this year has been the outlier in that and the sirianni reich pairing got this team off the good first quarter starts um throughout really their first three or four years together yeah i mean you're constantly seeing the season where the colts are down multiple scores to start games and they're having to claw their way out of these double-digit deficits because you're just like, come on, get going, and they're just three and out, three and out, fumble, turnover, like something like that. So have they not kind of, scored a point on wild. an opening drive this season, and have started the game with the ball so often. Yep, this year. All right, we're gonna talk a little Purdue basketball, sneaking a Purdue football question coming up here in a few minutes, uh, but we will start our morning check down with the the shot heard round Philly. McCullers to Harper. It's good. Right center field. Lightning strikes. 2 nothing fills. The Morning Checkdown. Brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. That was a little Morning Checkdown remix beginning with Bryce Harper's shot. The first pitch. How about that? The last two pitches he's seen in that ballpark. Yeah. Homer to end the NLCS, and then a homer there in Game 3. The first of many last night for the Phillies. Yep, Phillies roll 7 nothing. Shut out the Astros. They go up 2-1 in the series. Game 4 tonight, since there was the rainout on Monday, they don't get the day off. Uh, first pitch tonight at 8 3 They'll try to go up 3-1 on the Houston Astros. Nola tonight? Did I see that? 
Yeah, back, Nola back on the mound. Okay. Nola tonight is a Christian Javier for the Astros. So pitching advantage on paper, definitely to the Phillies. Sounds like Verlander waiting in game five. Um, again, that'll be Thursday night. Philly will have that in their own city, and then it'll be the Eagles at the Texans on Thursday night football. We had some action last night. Ball State topped Kent State 27-20 to on the chirp, pro. Chirp. On they the were pro- down 13-0. Yeah, yeah. On the pro side of things, we had the NFL trade deadline. Lots of deals. That was the best NFL trade de- deadline, bar none. I mean, I, I challenge you to try to think of one. No. They actually had this much action. Favorite non-Bears move? Because I have a feeling you would go with Chase Claypool to your Bears. Uh, that was a good one. I liked the Bradley Chubb move by the Dolphins. I think the Dolphins The Dolphins are doing it, man. They they get inventive with these trades. They've, they've pulled off Teron Armstead. They've got uh, Tariq Hill. They've just got they they don't shy away from being bold with their moves. Helps I like that a lot. When you have the rookie contract quarterback, yep, that helps, and you can see that they're building around him, which is something I would like to see other teams with young quarterbacks do going forward. Uh, you know, no hints there of who I'm talking about, but Calvin love what Ridley, they did right there. Calvin Ridley to the Jaguars. To the Jags, that's a big one. That that's did, another one where it's like that seems. I mean, he obviously suspended for the year. We'll see if he gets reinstated after he meets with Roger Goodell at the end of the season. But that's another one where it's like. Building around Trevor Lawrence, that wide receiver group with Calvin Ridley on the Jaguars. You got Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk. Woo! I like Zay Jones too. Yeah. Uh, TJ Hawkinson to the Vikings, the other one that stood out to me. The Lions tight end. Um, he goes there. Nice haul. Detroit got back for him. But you look at that skill group Dalvin Cook, Hawkinson, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Boy, Kirk Cousins, if he can manage that operation. I know, insert your jokes here, but that Vikings team. Um, Looks to be the NFC North favorite. I, I, I think you would have to say that. I mean, I know yeah. Green Bay's not put it together. I think we feel like it'll happen, but uh, we're halfway through the season. I've not seen that yet. Packers <laughs> didn't do anything at the trade deadline either. Which they were rumored for Claypool. Yeah, see that? that was that was the the reason why the Col- the Bears reportedly had to go up with their second their personal second round pick and not the one they got from the Roquan Smith trade from the Ravens. Is that the Packers were were vying for uh, Chase Claypool, so they upped the second round pick. It's gonna probably be a top third in thirties, so little little steep price to pay. But if you're getting a nice wide receiver to help Justin Fields, I'm all for it. I like Claypool a lot. All right, let's talk some Purdue basketball next. Brian Newbert, um, who I believe has made a recent transition uh, professionally, we'll chat about that next and uh, get a little bit of a preview on Matt Painter's bunch this season. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Let's kick it with Alex Golden of uh, Setting the Pace. He's up next on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He joins Kevin and Query today. How are you doing, Alex? I am. Uh, I'm doing okay. I'm fighting a little cold here, but overall, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Gutting it out. I love it, Alex. Such um, a such a gamer, <laughs> gamer, Alex Golden. 
Uh, kind of the rare, I guess you can go to bed at a decent hour. It's the rare three-day break during the season. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday here, the Pacers are off. They are back at home tomorrow night. Start 8 of 10, or excuse me, Friday night. Start 8 of 10 at home. It'll be the Heat on Friday. Alex, I want to begin with the Miles Turner appearance with Adrian Wojnarowski um, that I think has all the Pacers' attention right now. And for those that missed it, let's play that clip, Sam, if you don't mind. Uh, again, this is Woj uh, earlier in the week with Turner. And uh, Alex, after this, we'll have you react to it. You've been hearing it for months. So I'll ask you, if you're the Lakers, would you do the two picks? <laughs> would you do the two picks? Oh, uh, that's, that's such an intriguing question <laughs> at that. Um, I think personally, you know, when you look at this business of the league and, you know, knowing the landscape of the league, you know, you have to go off your future, right? And think, we, we all know picks are so valuable in this league. And someone like myself, I'm heading into the last year of my, you know, my deal. And you want to make sure, you know, you're getting a return, you know, for your assets, right? So, you know, if I'm the Lakers, I take a very hard look at this with the position that you're in. You know, I know what I can provide for a team, you know, my, my leadership, my shot blocking, you know, my three-point ability, and just my ability to make plays out there on the floor. And I take a very long look at it. But as far as pulling the trigger, you know, that's uh, – I get paid to shoot. Now, you know, I'm not made to make these calls, so I, I couldn't answer that. <laughs> Alex, I'll leave it pretty open-ended. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, if it was a hypothetical question and he didn't know that that was going to be asked, I think he answered it well. But I also think Miles is a very smart guy. He knew exactly what he was doing when he went on the Woj pod because it just gave him a national platform to kind of open campaign. Like, Lakers trade for me. I'm going to be a free agent at the end of the summer or at the end of the season. So uh, it felt like just kind of like him campaigning for himself in the future uh, of his career, uh, and and then talking about the Pacers, you know, can't lose them for nothing. Basically, and there's a lot more that was in that uh, in that entire podcast. I listened to the whole thing, but a lot of it just kind of circled around. Like you can tell, Miles is ready to, you know, get a little bit more national attention than he's been getting here in Indiana, and um, you know that could be a good and a bad thing for him if he, uh, you know, plays as inconsistent as he had his whole career. Yeah, a couple thoughts I had, you know, after what happened with DeAndre Ayton, you know, I don't blame Miles for saying what he said. Um, I appreciate his candor. I think you would like to see him back it up if you are going to talk like that and do something that you don't typically see. Don't have the night like you did the other night um, and playing so poorly. On that front, um, we're a long ways away from February and the trade deadline, but would you... I, I don't know. Maybe I'm reacting too much to the first eight games. You think Buddy Heald gets you more in return or Miles Turner if they are traded separately? Um, I still think Miles does because he's younger. Um, he's, you know, the only thing that would be a little bit concerning is he is in a contract year. Um, but Buddy Heald, he's been playing lights out. Uh, you know, I don't know if this is his like, career shooting numbers, but I do know it's his career numbers and rebounds and assists. And that's one thing. But I think Rick Carlisle's done a good job of with Buddy Heald is they've put him in a position where he can be more than just a shooter. He can be a little bit of a, of a playmaker here and there. So, um, you know, I think if Buddy continues to play at this high level, you probably could get a first-round pick for both of them. But I don't, I don't necessarily think that people are going to look at Buddy, who's a little bit older than Miles, and, and give up more for Buddy than Miles because, you know, Miles on the right team, like you put Miles in the Lakers, I think that it does make sense for him because there he is playing with you know a star in LeBron James, a star in Anthony Davis, and then you get pieces around him. Yeah, that he is a nice complimentary piece. Uh, so, so is Buddy Heald. But 
Miles' defense is what you want in the playoffs more than anything. And uh, I still think Miles gets you more, but it's close. Turner's comments to, to the Lakers on the Woj podcast reminded me of like me trying to talk to a girl at a bar in college, talking myself up and trying to get it going. <laughs> and then like, yeah. Then, then the game yeah. comes, I and I spill say, beer yeah. on myself. My fly's down. I look like yeah. a complete idiot. So well, There goes Mark home alone. <laughs> Single again. Pizza for one. <laughs> Big deal. <laughs> uh, I, speaking of Buddy Heald, by the way, I really like the way he's played so far. I know he's on the trade block Like since he arrived. He's, he, they'd be like, well, he's, it's just a stop until he goes to his next destination. Is there any chance if he keeps playing like this that the Pacers are like, you know what? Buddy Heald might be a guy we can keep on this roster and build around, or is he strictly just – a, a trade asset for them at this point? You know, that's a really good question. I I would honestly say if you look at the entire roster and all the veterans, he is the only one that makes sense long-term for this team. Um, the only reason you might say no is because there are shooting guards and, and wings be, behind him, and like Matherin, Duarte, Neesmith. But, you know, if you could bring him off the bench and kind of let him anchor that that, you know, second unit, you know, moving forward, that wouldn't be the worst thing just because we know he's, you know, he likes it here. He's played very well here, brings a lot of positive energy, in my opinion. Um, but defensively, you know, there's still a lot to be desired with Buddy. There's no doubt about it. So I, w- I would say that, you know, out of all the vets, he makes the most sense to keep around. But with the Pacers trying to get younger and, and, and get these other guys more opportunities, I don't really see it happening. Um, but but that's, that's a really intriguing question because you look at Tice, you look at McConnell, you look at James Johnson and Miles. Like, you could say Miles makes sense, but you have so many bigs right now that you want to get on the floor, uh, and there's just there's just not enough room there on the roster uh, for Isaiah Jackson and uh, even Terry Taylor can even get in the rotation right now because of uh, how many bigs they have. So, I just I just think Buddy fits what they're trying to do offensively the most, but I, I just don't think they're going to really hold on to him, seeing that he's going to be thirty thirty one and he wants to be in a winning environment, and the Pacers really aren't there right now. Again, that's Alex Golden with Setting the Pace. He joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Do uh, you think there should be urgency to get Benedict Matherin in the starting lineup? You know, a lot of people have been asking me this, and I said I really don't mind that he's coming off the bench. I think it's uh, a little bit easier for him to kind of ease into the game, see what's going on, and, and then play against second units first and get himself going and kind of be the focal point of that second unit. Because if he starts – you know, is he kind of going to get lost in the shuffle? And I think we saw that a little bit um, uh, um, against the Nets after he had a great first half. He had 22 points. He only scored 10 points the second half, and it felt like they weren't going to him very much with with Buddy and Tyrese out there. So, you know, I I think he's fine in that role. As long as he's getting 25 to 30 minutes, I'm cool with that. He's playing close to starter-level minutes, but when he's playing like the the 20 to 24-minute range, I hate that because – um, I just want to see him out there as much as possible. And I think them talking about this being a year of, of learning and growing, get him as much time with Halliburton, Duarte, and the guys that you see for your future and quit quit putting him, <laughs> uh, quit lending his minutes and, and playing him with combinations that might not be there for the long haul. What did you make of the end of game the other night? I, I, I'm a little torn on like who should be – creating who should be handling it late you know Halliburton had a couple turnovers really uncharacteristic for him he had a lot of turnovers frankly on on Monday night you know, I don't know if Matherin's that guy just yet like individually one-on-one you know based off the hot hand Duarte probably should have gotten a few more looks late uh, but I guess how do you view the Pacers right now when they do get into these late game moments because 
you know, putting the joke of me thinking they'll win 30 to the side for a second, late game situations were a big issue for this team last year. And I do think that's a critical part moving forward of, okay, when you get into these moments, you want this guy to be handling the ball and, you know, kind of clearing out for him. Yeah, I would say right now, just because, you know, they've pretty much deemed, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, the franchise, uh, you know, face of the franchise. You got to put the ball in his hands and let him have that opportunity to at least be able to do it. Turns the ball over some, I get it. And I also think, you know, if, if, if Matherin's playing great or Duarte's playing great, you know, feed the hot hand. I don't think it should matter um, who who you are. It's not like a, a Paul George thing here where he's mad at C.J. Miles for, you know, shooting a game-winning shot that looks pretty good. You know, um, I, I think that overall, like maybe in a couple of years, you're going to be like, okay, just give it to Matherin and get out of the way. Because Matherin's that guy that's going to try to create contact by, you know, getting into the lane. Maybe he gets fouled, or he just he just is, is stronger and gets to the basket. I think Halliburton um, is a great facilitator. We're starting to see him become more of an aggressive scorer, but he just doesn't have the aggressive scoring ability like Matherin. So, uh, just not as natural instinct for him. So, I still think right now with this team this season, put the ball in Halliburton's hands for the majority of the time and let him make those decisions on who he wants to give it to. Uh, but I think overall, if, if the hot hand is Chris Duarte, if the hot hand is Buddy Heel, find a way to get them a good look and, and let them kind of be rewarded for their play overall. That's what I was telling Kevin the other day, Alex. Alex Golden of the Setting the Pace podcast joining us on Kevin and Query this morning. It, it seems like there's just con- there's guys who step up on a game-in, game-out basis, so maybe – Miles Turner doesn't have a good game, but then Chris Duarte steps up, or Tyrese Halliburton, or Benedict Matherin off the bench. There seems like there's contributions coming from all over the place, and it's just a group of young guys that don't know what they don't know. They're just giving out their best shot every night. I mean, they got Steve Nash fired from Brooklyn yes, yesterday, apparently. Should, should that's count what we, for a win. That's what me. we figured out. So, I mean, what, what are your storewall thoughts of how the roster's been made up? Because I feel like it's just there's good cohesion going on right now. It's something that we haven't really seen with a Pacers squad uh, especially with how much youth is on this team. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And um, I've really been impressed with, with how they've uh, developed such a group of guys that want to play together. Um, it, there's been times, you know, when, when Matherin's probably looking for a shot too much and you'll see Buddy Hill come up and tell him, hey, you know, look over here, this guy was open. I think all these guys are just hungry, ready to be good, ready to be great, and, and they understand what, what this season is all about. And so – they're, uh, they're able to kind of play together and not get too big of an ego because I think the Pacers really wanted to focus on that is getting good guys in the locker room that, you know, are going to be focused on themselves. And they've dealt with that before with, you know, Vic a little bit. And uh, maybe you can even say Sabonis to a certain degree. I don't know if I'd go that far. But, you know, um, probably the only guy that really talks about himself on this team right now is Miles Turner. So, um, overall, I think these guys are just all in it together. They see the potential of this uh, of their future together as a core, and um, you know with Tyrese Halliburton leading the way, I think that really is an indictment of what this team's going to be. It's all going to be based around how Tyrese leads them, and I think um, they're all following suit because he is uh, an incredible leader um, and he's really a connective guy. Alex, last one for me, and appreciate you gotten it out this morning. Um, you know when you look at, and I feel like we we have to do this. You know, every so often this season, you look at the big picture because that's what this year is about. Um, I brought this up to Mark earlier in the week. I view the Pacers puzzle as, and really any team's puzzle, but you're trying to find three frontline dudes. 
Um, I think Halliburton and Matherin are two of those three. And by front line, I just mean, you know, uh, potential stars, 20-point guys, et cetera, all-star mm. caliber players. Um, you got to go find another one to join them, and I think your draft capital next year would, you know, hopefully lend to that. And then you got got to find probably three or four more complementary pieces. So is that a Jalen Smith, an Isaiah Jackson, a Chris Duarte, Andrew Nemhard? You know, those guys, Neesmith, they are competing to – you know, kind of make up a seven or eight man core for the next few years. Uh, how do you view kind of that thought process? And if you are looking at a bit of a roster moving forward, do you look at a center and maybe like a a, a big wing uh, with a defensive emphasis as two pieces that still need to be found? Yeah, I agree with you there with, you know, Halliburton and Mather and being really only two, you know, front front line guys there. I think everybody else on the roster is pretty complimentary, and I don't mean to kind of hold back anybody's potential with Duarte, with Ajax, and all that kind of stuff. They just feel like really good role players. Don't really see star in any of them, but I do see really nice pieces next to them. But, yeah, I, I agree. They could go center, but at the same time, I really think they need a defensive wing more than anything. Um, probably someone that can guard the, the, the Paul George types, the Kawhi Leonard types. Because right now, they don't really have that. They're all, like Benedict Mather and Chris Duarte, they're all a little bit undersized for that position. Um, honestly, the, the guy that probably fits that mold the best for the team right now is James Johnson, just looking at his size on him. like You probably want someone like that tall and someone that can put the ball in the basket as well. So that's what I think they need to address. But, you know, um, I think Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith is good enough to be a starting center in the league. I just don't know if that really matters too, too much because, um, you know, Nick Claxton to me, uh, someone on the Nets right now, I don't think he's like this great center for the Nets, but uh, with what they're trying to do, he he fits their system. And I think Isaiah Jackson could kind of be that guy um, for the Pacers if they get that, if they get that right wing. But um, if they get Wimbenyama, I mean, you don't, you don't really care about what position that is. That's, that's your center right there moving forward. But other than that, I think they need to get, more wings and, and not so many guards because I'm worried about this team being a little bit too small moving forward. Amen Thompson, would that make sense? Uh, Amen Thompson, yeah. Amen Thompson? Yeah, that that kid is the one that I think I would almost take if uh, Victor Wimbanyama, uh, if we don't get Victor. A lot of people would say Scoot's still at two, Scoot. and I probably would still go that route just because he's a special talent. But uh, Amen Thompson to me is – the most, uh, the best fit, I guess you could say, outside of Wimbenyama, in my opinion, for this Pacers roster moving forward. Is it overtime elite for him? Is that right? Yeah, him and his brother, Asur, are playing there. They're twin brothers. Asur is more of a kind of an offensive guy, um, but uh, Amin's a little bit more athletic, much more of a defensive-minded guy, and his offense has actually started to come around over the last couple of months. So I think he's a guy that a lot of Pacer fans would fall in love with once uh, he got here to Indiana. So that, that's someone I'm really keeping my eye on just because I think he's a special talent. He's Alex Golden of Setting the Pace. He joins us every once in a while to talk Pacers. We always appreciate the time. Alex, feel better, and we always appreciate you hopping on with us. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thank you so much. Alex Golden right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. Did you see what Jake's watching on the flight? Well, he sent me the thing the other day that was WWE Monday Night Raw in Italian. So what is he watching now? Is it like... Paddington 2 or something? Well, he's got Charlie Brown Christmas, which I find very ironic. Didn't we have the caller earlier reference a Charlie Brown analogy mm -hmm. for Jake? Yep. That is a bit eerie. It's a bit eerie. 
means he's either listening or he's just just a very weird coincidence. But he's watching the Christmas one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's just jumped straight over Halloween, skip Thanksgiving, going right to Christmas. Yeah, they're uh, they're skating Charlie Brown Christmas for Jake. He'll be back tomorrow. He'll be bearing any gifts. Uh, maybe. I don't know. He showed us those donut treats a while back, and then he kind of, like, ghosted us as far as, like, any other notice. The only other thing I saw from him, aside from that, and the Monday Night Raw Italian clip was the cannabis store right next to the Taco Bell, right next to, like, a very nice building, old-timey building in Barcelona. Was that the What the Bleep candy bar? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Is it, this, this is the, the movie option on the flight was Charlie Brown Christmas. How can that be? <laughs> you got to have a few more than There's that. There's got to right? be more than that. There has to be. There's no way. They're like, today's flight, uh, Charlie Brown Christmas. Christmas with the crank, something. like Jake just lets out a, yeah! Woohoo! He's probably humming that annoying song in it, too. Christmas time is here. What, what should be the... Uh, let's not go annoying on that song, by the way. It's, it's almost, okay. He was like... Uh, it's very dreary for season for a Christmas song. It's very dreary. What should be the bet, Notre Dame, Clemson, for Jake and I? Loser has to paint their chest, and on the show, on the show, uh, the Monday after, and wear it the whole time. Paint of the chest. Yeah, you have to put that that team's like logo on your chest. Do I get points? Why do you get points? They're favored. Clemson's favored. Well, that's up to you and you and Jake to decide. You're the third party i'm here. the moderator well i can we can agree to terms like you guys can put forth your proposals and then i'll be the i'll be the uh non-biased moderator i'll determine what we come up with college football rankings. jake could probably be thrilled to take his shirt off probably hey is this is this thing on my uh, back healed you gonna, look at this he's gonna want to make sure the tanning bed had a visit or two before he does that uh the college football first playoff rankings Came out last night, Tennessee, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Michigan. That's one, two, three, four, five. Bama, TCU, Oregon, USC, and Brian Kelly's LSU Tigers. Round out the top ten. Uh, a couple Big Ten teams, Penn State at 15 and Illinois at 16. we got some great games this weekend. Yeah, it's been a nice change. Like, last couple weeks have kind of stunk, but... Tennessee at Georgia, so that's one versus three. Mm-hmm. And then Alabama. Is it Alabama at LSU? I believe that's right. So that's what, six versus ten? Yep. And then Notre Dame-Clemson is that night game, obviously. Notre Dame nowhere close to playoff consideration. Tennessee Texas at Georgia, Kansas State. 330. Mm-hmm. And yeah, Alabama at LSU, that's seven o'clock. Man, there's some good ones. Great, great game. All right, uh, pop quiz coming up in less than 10 minutes. And what, is it a two-pack or four-pack? Two-pack. Pair of tickets to WWE SmackDown November 11th at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. Week from Friday, mm-hmm. that is. Um, you might have to fight Mark Dykton to get in the building that night. Um, so I'm a lover, not a fighter. You're coming up in less than 10 minutes. Let's hit a morning check down. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. McCullers to Harper. It's good. Right center field. Lightning strikes. 2-0 Phils. Woo, that crack of the bat by Bryce Harper, and it was on for the Phillies. They routed the Astros 7-0 to take Game 3 of the World Series. Big stick swinging in Philadelphia last night. That was 
the first of many for the Philadelphia Phillies. They go up 2-1 to one in the series. They have game four tonight in Philadelphia as well. First pitch, 8-0-3. Uh, Aaron Nola getting the nod on the, on the mound for the Phillies. John Smoltz was all over that last night about Harper sitting on a first pitch breaking ball. Um, how Lance McCullers usually pitches to lefties there. Harper definitely did that. Uh, five homers for the Phillies. Kyle Schorber hit one to deep center. Um, and they got more out of Suarez, their starting pitcher, than certainly um, I think a lot of people thought going into the night. Yeah. And now tonight they pitch Nola, Christian Javier. All of a sudden, things are looking like Philly could. Philly could do it. I mean, they Maybe could, not in seven. Could they do it in five? Yeah. Uh, you stole my thunder. I was just about to come in with that. Philly in five? Are they, they going to beat Verlander? I still don't think so, but uh, heck, it seems a lot more likely now than when I was saying Phillies in six, right, I mean, fellas? Verlander's postseason stats are not good. Have you seen those? Now, like, how was he in game one? It's pretty bad. And, they, but better than, he, honestly, he's been yeah, most he postseason. Right? I, think, I think he still is searching for his first. They got the big lead, right? They, well, they took a 5-0, but that diminished real quickly. Fourth yeah. inning, Phillies cut into it, took it back by the sixth. Yeah, second time through the order. Yeah, what an atmosphere last night in Philadelphia for Game 3. Again, Game 4, as Mark said, tonight, Game 5 tomorrow, while the Eagles take on the Texans down in Houston. Uh, if it goes to 6, an off day on Friday, and then Games 6 and 7 back in Houston this weekend. It's Tuesday night football, which means it was Maction. Ball State top Kent State 27-20, to 20, so that got going there. Uh, college basketball tonight, we got a – Four-pack of exhibition games. Notre Dame takes on Xavier, Louisiana, Evansville against Huntington, Purdue against Truman State, and Southern uh, so- Southern Indiana against Midway, Kentucky. So your college basketball is Give that to me again? Here. Midway, Kentucky? Yeah. Is that an airport? I don't know. It's not the one in Chicago, that's for sure. Might have better, better wait times. But, yeah, Southern Indiana against Midway, Kentucky. And we're hoping for Thad Mata tomorrow, is that Hoping right? for Thad Mata. Looks like that that might happen. We definitely have Mike Reese, Patriots beat reporter. He's going to join us. He's from ESPN. He'll join us tomorrow to give a little Colts Patriots. A game that's gone completely under the radar so far because there was so much going on with the Colts. NFL trade deadline yesterday. They moved Naheem Hines to the Buffalo Bills in exchange for Zach Moths and a conditional sixth-round pick. We still haven't heard the details of what would make that a fifth-round pick. Hopefully we'll get that a little later today. Also, the, the Colts continue to make news. They fired offensive coordinator Marcus Brady. Noah interim named on that front. Nope. Um, Frank Reich will certainly take over even more duties there, um, but that'll be something for Frank Reich. And I'm curious, Mark, as we get ready for the Colts to get back to practice this week, obviously injuries, quitty pay. Uh, does he get back with Tyquan Lewis out for the season, Jonathan Taylor, and that ankle? Um, but, you know, what do you do it? quarterback if Matt Ryan's health. Is Matt Ryan the backup and Nick Foles is the third stringer? No idea. That's a fun debate. If you're a Colts fan, you get to figure out, is Matt Ryan or Nick Foles the backup to Sam Ellinger? Again, just like we drew it up all Fun debate? Is that how you would word it? Oh, yeah. Fun debate with, I mean, probably another F. Word that starts with F is what you'd like to use for that debate. But um, yeah, NFL trade deadline, tons of moves. Most most exciting NFL trade deadline by far. Guys like Roquan Smith, Bradley Chubb, Clay, Chase Claypool. So Bradley Chubb to the Dolphins. You slot them where in the AFC pecking order? Boy, I mean, they're nipping at the heels of the Buffalo Bills in the AFC East, at least. Boy, are, are they that close to Buffalo? I don't know if they're that close, but I'm saying as far as, like, they're taking swings. They're taking swings to come at them. They're, they're yeah, they trying are. to move the Patriots and the Jets down the pecking order of the AFC East. Um, I don't know where they sit in the, the out the you know, big, pers- big picture of the AFC, 
But, I mean, they're sure, certainly making moves between getting Teron Armstead, trading for Ty- Tyreek Hill, now getting Bradley Chubb. I mean, they're taking big swings to try to do all they can to make Tua and the Dolphins a thing. And I like what Mike McDaniels has done so far. He's been very good. Coach of the year candidate. I like what they've done down in Miami. So I think Mike Vrabel deserves some votes for that. Oh, yeah. All right, pop quiz time is here. Again, two tickets to the WWE Friday night SmackDown on Friday, November 11th. That is at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, along with the signature Jiffy Lube oil change. Give us a call, 317-239-1070.